Hi, and welcome to the Part 3 with me podcast. The show that helps Part 3 architecture students jumpstart into their careers as qualified architects. I am your host, Maria Scudari. And this week, we will be talking about dispute resolutions. So as I mentioned in the appointments episode, as architects, we are expected by the RIBA and the ARB to have written procedures for the handling of complaints, uh, which is in accordance with the codes of conduct that both bodies have. Uh, And we also have to be able to handle any complaints courteously and promptly at every stage. So it's very important to have in-house complaints procedures in, in place and outline within our appointments with prospective clients um, what that in-house complaints procedure is. So in the event of a complaint or um, a suit against us, we have the necessary arrangements in place to handle everything effectively and efficiently. So what is dispute resolution? A dispute resolution can be defined that it includes any process which can bring about the conclusion of a dispute. So dispute resolution techniques can be seen as a spectrum that ranges from the most information negotiations between the parties themselves through to increased formality and more direct interventions from external resources to a full court hearing with strict rules of procedure. So it can be as informal as two people chatting between them to resolve the dispute or all the way up to the court, uh, including a judge. So the dispute resolution methods are uh, split into eight main types, which includes negotiation, mediation and conciliation, uh, neutral evaluation, expert determination, dispute review boards, adjudication, arbitration and litigation. So let's start with uh, negotiation. Uh, Negotiation is the most common form of dispute resolution where the parties involved usually attempt to resolve the dispute themselves. So which is what I uh, mentioned earlier that this this is like the least harmful way to start that dispute resolution. So negotiation can usually be the most efficient form of dispute uh, resolution in terms of management of time, cost and preservation of relationships. So it should be seen as a preferred route in most disputes. So if you don't want to fall out with your client, um, this is probably the best way to handle any disputes. So uh, negotiation uh, dispute resolution processes usually consist of um, an informal approach or meeting between the two parties. Um, It's carried out privately between them. Uh, It's usually a relatively quick process with no formal rules Um, and during that process and at the end um, there should be a record of everything in writing and make sure that all parties sign it to make sure that everyone agrees with what was said and what was agreed and it's also considered as the most um, cost-effective process compared to the rest. Um, So if we were to go for mediation or conciliation Mediation is essentially like negotiation, but with the assistance of a neutral third party, which is the mediator. So mediation has all the advantages of negotiation, 
but the involvement of the neutral third party can make the negotiation more effective. So it should be seen as the preferred dispute resolution route in most disputes when negotiation um, fails to resolve the issue. So this method is usually carried out informally as well and in private and is initially um, considered a non-binding method. So if settlement is reached between the parties, it can become a legal binding contract and should be written down and signed, but only if the two parties agree. So it's a flexible process with no fixed procedures and it usually lasts one day with very few times running for more than three days. So under mediation, each party prepares a brief summary of their respective positions and key supporting documents to reinforce their argument. And these are then handed to the mediator and the other party and then the parties enter a mediation agreement and once the details of the mediation have been agreed, then that process is concluded. Um, if you use conciliation, which is basically like mediation, uh, a conciliator can propose a solution to the dispute. Um, so these two processes are relatively inexpensive as well, like, similarly to negotiation. Uh, now moving on to neutral evaluation this is characterized as having um, the aim to test the strength of the legal points in the case so a neutral third party again is appointed that has previous experience in such um, scenarios so for example it can be a retired judge or a lawyer um, and they hear each party submissions and then the third party states their views on the likely outcome uh, that may happen if they were to go to trial and that is formed as a basis to settle the dispute. Um, so this process can also be carried out in privately and entirely on paper, saving the parties um, time and expense for an oral hearing. And usually the view of the appointed expert is without prejudice and has no binding effect. Um, and it can also sometimes be used as a basis for settlement or further negotiations. So they can either settle at that moment or continue to proceed with negotiation rather than proceed with neutral valuation. Now, when it comes to um, expert determination, uh, similar to neutral evaluation, uh, an independent expert with knowledge in the field is appointed by agreement and they give a determination of the procedure. So the parties then agree to be bound by the decision of the expert and the expert can also investigate the background of the dispute themselves rather than just relying on the evidence provided by the parties. Uh, if a dispute review board is used, which is the next method, um, it usually uses a panel specifically set up for that project and is designed to deal with disputes quickly and effectively. So these again are carried out in private and they are usually um, a relatively expensive process and the outcome is not binding to the parties. So if it's agreed from the beginning that a dispute review board will be used in the event of a dispute, uh, it's usually best to set this up before the project starts and 
put together the board that will consist of it. So this usually um, involves three members where each party selects one member and the third one is selected jointly and it's usually best that one of them has professional experience so for example a lawyer so these members then give a copy to the contract document and they receive respective submissions from each party and then they come back with their recommendation um, but as mentioned, it's usually non-binding. So next up is adjudication. So under adjudication, an expert is instructed to rule on a technical issue, and it's usually used in construction-related disputes um, as set out in the Housing Grants Construction and Regeneration Act 1996, where um, awards are binding on the parties um, at least on an interim basis. So under the Housing Grants Construction and Regeneration Act, either party to a construction contract has the right to refer any dispute or difference to adjudication. So this process is, again, similar to the other ones, carried out privately, and each party bears their own costs. And it can be quite a costly process. So... What happens then is that an adjudicator is appointed uh, where he is required to reach a decision within 28 days of receiving the information regarding the dispute. And then this period can be extended by 14 days if, the, if both parties agree. And then the decision of the adjudicator will be binding on the parties um, until it's determined if arbitration is used or through legal proceedings. So adjudication is considered as a very quick and simple process uh, in comparison to other methods and is usually more cost effective than arbitration or litigation. So if the dispute proceeds to arbitration, arbitration is a more formal approach and is governed by the statute of the Arbitration Act 1996 um, this is also a private method and it's carried out, which means it's carried out privately, um, but it offers a binding outcome where the dispute is resolved by the decision of the third party, which is the arbitrator in this instance. So the Arbitration Act gives the widest discretion to the parties to decide between themselves how their dispute is to be resolved, but it provides a fallback position if an agreement cannot be reached. So the advantages of arbitration is that it allows some control of the process, it's more cost-effective than litigation, it offers confidentiality, the parties can choose who the arbitrator is, resolution is usually guaranteed, and the decisions are legally binding and enforceable. And last but not least, um, moving to litigation, Litigation is a formal process and it's taken through the civil courts and it's conducted in public. So compared to the rest of the methods that I just mentioned, litigation is the only one that's carried out publicly. So the judgment is binding under litigation 
and it's each party subject to rights of appeal. So if they don't agree with it, they can appeal the decision. Um, litigation can be a very lengthy process and it can be drawn out and very costly. So what happens is usually parties agree a settlement before the case comes to the court. Um, the advantages of using litigation, though, is that it can bring an unwilling party into the procedure and that the solution will be enforceable without further agreement. So it can, as a process, however, be very lengthy and cause damage to the relationship and the outcome is in the hands of a judge. So the factors that usually determine which process the parties wish to go with is either during negotiations of the contract or when a dispute actually comes up. So most commonly parties prefer to resolve the issues between them under negotiation and arbitration is usually the process of last resort where confidentiality is required. So for example, mediation may not always be appropriate in contracts for procurement of smaller value goods and services where the contractor may elect to use a process in bad faith to delay the settlement. So in such cases, it may be best to allow uh, within the contract to use uh, mediation. So in summary, the ideal stages of dispute resolution are that you start by tackling the issue with negotiation, where the parties try to resolve the issue between them in a timely and cost-effective manner, whilst also preserving their relationship. But if that doesn't work, then the issue can move on to either mediation or conciliation, which, as I mentioned, is essentially like negotiation, but with the assistance of a neutral third party. Or they can use neutral valuation, which again uses a neutral third party that has previous experience and states their views on the outcome uh, that trial may have to help settle the dispute. Or they can use adjudication, where again, an expert is instructed and usually used in construction-related disputes, and the decision of the adjudicator will be binding. And then if either of those uh, methods again doesn't uh, resolve the issue, then it moves on to arbitration, expert determination or litigation, where if you use arbitration, it offers a binding outcome where the dispute is resolved by the decision of the arbitrator and offers the parties the opportunity to decide between them how their dispute is to be resolved and resolution is guaranteed and decisions are binding and enforceable or using expert determination where again an independent expert with knowledge in the field is appointed and gives a determination or by litigation obviously which is obviously the worst case and last case scenario that you should go for which involves trials and full proceedings um, and it's the only one conducted in public and it can be lengthy, costly and damage the relationship. Now let's look at a potential scenario that you may be faced with when it comes to um, dispute resolutions. So imagine that you just completed um, the stage four pack, which is a tender pack, and you have to prepare an invoice for this stage, um, allowing for um, expenses, the payment, um, and and so on, but 
you haven't received payment for stage three um, and it has been overdue by three months. So we sent a number of reminders to to the client, um, but we tried not to push since the client relies on external grant funding to be able to pay for the project and to pay for the consultants. So our concerns are that the client may potentially have an admin issue. So they haven't received our invoices or something happened internally. So what we want to do is we want to prepare um, a memo listing the next steps that we need to take and potential options to recover the money that's owed and any advantages and disadvantages of each step that we may take and the impact on the project and the client relationship. So our response for, for this scenario is that we would recommend to firstly take a step back and go through our appointment documentation. Have we given the client any reason to withhold payment? Have we been carrying out our duties with duty of care and diligence? Um, make sure that we went through the appointment with the client to explain our services and confirm everything in writing. Have we done that? Did we set out from the beginning the set dates for payments and stated which these dates are in the appointment? If so, then when it comes to the payments, we should refer to the Housing Grants Construction and Regeneration Act 1996 um, because this is a construction contract. Um, the client should have provided us with a payment notice within five days of the date for payment, informing us of his payment intentions and sums and the basis of his calculations. But if he however decided to pay less, then he should have supplied us with a second notice, which is the pay less notice, uh, stating the new sum he intends to pay before uh, the final payment date that should have been set within the building contract. So since we didn't receive any of these notices within the five days of the due date, we should have issued our own payment notice before the final date for payment. So this sum should have been paid by the final date for payment, but if neither us or the client issued a notice within that period, then as a result, uh, no payment was due for that period. So we have to check, did the client actually issue us with a notice of intention to withhold payment? If they have, did they state the amount to be withheld and the reasons for doing so? And did they issue this before the final date for payment? Um, but if no agreement was made on the dates for payment, then the provisions of the scheme for construction contracts can apply. So because this is a construction contract, under the Housing Grants Construction and Regeneration Act, we have the right to suspend part or all of our performance duties for non-payment. So since the payment hasn't been provided for three months now, 
which exceeds considerably the final date for payment, and we didn't receive any withholding payment notice, we have the right to suspend our performance. So if we don't intend to undertake a step like that, so if we don't want to do that, we have to give the client at least seven days notice of our intention to suspend performance and state why we're doing so. Um, The advantage of doing this is that by giving such a notice to the client, it will alert them to the severity of the problem and they will either pay the money straight away and we can continue with our services as normal or by doing that and it comes up as very inappropriate to the client, it jeopardizes our relationship with them and the trust that we had with him and the trust he had in our practice could possibly cause the termination of any future projects we have we might have had with him. So if he doesn't offer to pay after we send the intention of suspending our performance, this would only be um, possibly terminating our role and involvement with the project, but it will also mean that we lose the relationship with the client. So in if all of that fails, the final option would be that the client continues not to pay us and he doesn't even acknowledge our attempts to negotiate the matter, then we will have the right under the Housing Grants Construction Regeneration Act to um, refer the matter to adjudication to recover the money owed to us. So we will have to give notice to the client of our intention to refer this to dispute to adjudication and appoint an adjudicator. Uh, But before this process, we will have to inform our indemnity insurance of the matter for them to advise us on the correct approach on how best to proceed. And after referring the matter to the adjudicator, we will have to wait 28 days or an additional 14 days for the adjudicator's decision. Um, Although we may be able to recover the money owed to us, this process will be the most um, disadvantageous and harmful to the practice because we will not only lose money because of the adjudicator's fees and hiring of space for the adjudication to take place, we will most definitely uh, sever any future relationship or projects with the client and our involvement with the current project will definitely come to an end. This scenario will also end up placing the client into an even harder position, uh, needing to assign um, and appoint new consultants to continue the works and having us to confirm with the client whether or not he will have license to use any of the information, drawings and so on, uh, if we give him the relevant copyright. So most of the options that I just outlined will probably be quite inappropriate for the practice and with the relationship with the client. So we could potentially recommend in this scenario to further negotiate the fees with the client or divide them into more installments until the external funding that the client is expecting um, is available so we can keep our resources and our expenses going and we avoid damaging our cash flow and we can give the client some breathing space to come up with the rest of the fees. So 
Um, this is a potential scenario that you may be faced and this is how you could go about um, reviewing it and responding to the client to avoid damaging that relationship if that client is a very key part of the practice. So don't forget that before a dispute arises, make sure you have in-house procedures in place, a good level of personal indemnity insurance. So if something does occur, you have the means to deal with it quickly and efficiently. And check out the episode show notes for some pointers on where to find additional useful reading material that will further broaden your knowledge when it comes to dispute resolution methods. If you would like to get in contact with me, please feel free to email me on the address provided in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. This is an educational show aimed at supporting the future generation of architects. The information, opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. Please join me next week for some more part three with me time.